All right, welcome back. Thank you for tuning in for another uh, episode of Christian Tactician Podcast. I am the uh, creator of this podcast, Adam Yates. I'm grateful that you are taking some time to uh, to listen, to hear. I hope that you are uh, tuning in, that you've listened to my other previous podcasts, and that you are tuning in now because you found something of value, that you found something in the message, in the encouragement that I felt led to give. Um, hope that you are uh, tuning in, that you're listening, and that you're trying to better yourself in your life as a man. I am hopeful that you have listened to the previous podcast and have taken some things of importance from it. And one of those important things I want to remind you, and I'm going to remind you this in every single one of these episodes, is that you were created to be a man. You were made by God, male, and you were given everything possible, every opportunity possible to attain Christian manhood, Christ-like manhood. One of the things and one of the reasons why I continue to do this podcast and I hope to be able to to uh, make it useful for a uh, significant amount of time is that I recognize that in our world right now being a man, having those manly Christian manly attributes uh, are under attack. They're under attack and our world would like to make you feel ashamed of it. Our world would like to make you feel like you are uh, like you're chauvinistic like you are looking down on others because you're trying to be that Christian servant, that Christian leader, that Christian warrior, that Christian friend, that Christian mentor, that that Christian example, that you are trying to uh, stand up for those who are weaker, those who have less ability. Our world wants to make it seem like those things are bad, and I want to tell you those are, those are godly. Those are Christ-like attributes. We should be fighting for them. We should be striving for them. And I want to have a conversation today. And, and one of the things that I want to talk about is, is you know, in uh, as a minister and some of the things that I've been, things I've just been studying, you know, we just finished up a marriage retreat. And one of the topics that I was looking at was I was looking at um, sexuality from a Christian standpoint. And one of the things that I realized as I'm looking through it, and I found a couple of really good Christian sites dedicated to uh, Christian sexuality talking about, uh, very bluntly about sex, is that we as Christians have not done a really good job about directly speaking about some of these things that reality is as they matter. Um, part of it's probably because we have some misconceptions ourselves. Part of it's probably because it is not exactly comfortable when we have conversations about some of these things that are a little bit more uncomfortable, truth be told. Today we're going to have a pretty frank discussion about masturbation and pornography. My title is called Cross Yourself, and I have a scripture that I'm going to read near the end that I hope is going to help make you understand why I've chosen that particular title. But the reality is, is this is one of those things that I feel like as Christians, we've not done a really good job of. We haven't done a really good job of having frank discussions and open discussions because of the fears, because of the embarrassment in having conversations about things like masturbation and pornography. And before we go any farther and you allow yourself to to hold on to some misconception, matters of masturbation, matters of watching pornography is not just a teenage thing. It's not just a 17-year-old in the quietness of his bedroom. It's a problem that pervades men or males throughout our society, and, and the reality is, is is it pervades men within our church. It's always a temptation. Sex is one of those things that's always a temptation. As men, our eyes are open. That's just the way it is. In one of my previous podcasts on Digging Your 90s, I talked about the fact that we're not going to be able to stop ourselves from noticing women, from noticing beauty, but what we are able to do is learn to control where we 
go with it. And that's really what I want to talk about today. I want to I want to have a more in-depth conversation on self-control in our pursuit of Christian manhood. Okay. And so one of the things I want to start by saying is, is the truth is, is that no one likes to be controlled. You don't like to be controlled. Probably as a kid, as a, uh, uh, and you might remember it even as a teenager, you know, you didn't like it when your parents tried to tell you what you should do or where you should go or all that stuff, right? Because you find yourself longing for control. I want to be the one who controls my own decisions, my own destiny, if you will. Nobody wants to be controlled. We don't like that necessarily. We want to be in control of ourselves and especially as men. We want to be in control of our decisions, our actions. And so what I want you to understand though is, is there's more and more evidence coming out and more and more studies coming out that we should understand that when you find yourself in this uh, cycle of watching pornography, this cycle of masturbation, even if it's absent pornography, when you find yourself in this cycle, you're really creating a situation within your mind where you aren't, you're not truly in control. Your mind, your desires begin to run by these humanistic controls that every other human has, and a whole lot of humans are just driven by it. And you find yourself out of control. You find yourself out of control. And and I want to encourage us that we can avoid that. We can we can uh, begin to to gain control of ourselves. But what it takes is is it really is going to take some some real action on our part. But one of the things that I want to I want to tell you is is I want to tell you that we need to understand that things like pornography, things like masturbation, it damages. It has a damage that comes along with it. As I say that, okay, I'll make the bold statement here. Have I masturbated in my life? Absolutely, I have. I'm not alone. You might snicker when you hear that, but you know that you have as well. I'm not the only one who's looked at pornography in my life. You have as well. I almost guarantee it 100% of the time because it's pervasive. It's all over the place. And, you know, one of those things that was difficult for me for a lot of years was that I would uh, be doing my job as a police officer and I would go into people's homes and it's everywhere. Pornography is everywhere. Videos and and pictures and and magazines and all sorts of things. I mean, it's all over the place. Uh, those, Those actual pornographic images where people in uh, who are naked, who are performing various sex acts to be seen and all that. I mean, those are all over the place. But there are also other pornographic images and things that are all over the place. Um, and, and a lot of that pornography can simply go on within our mind if it's prompted the right way. And I want to talk about how we get control over those things. I want to talk about how we get control over that. And I have some steps that I want to go through at the end of this podcast to try to help you through that. But I want to start by, by just helping you to understand some of the challenges and things that 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 are surrounding these this subject which is masturbation and pornography which are not um, necessarily they don't necessarily have to be tied together but more often than not they are tied together I mean I realize that you don't have to be watching pornography the actual uh, you know looking at it viewing it somehow in order to masturbate or in order to draw up images that 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 get you um, excited and uh, and, and want to perform that particular act okay but so often they do go hand in hand and they're and they're destructive and I want to talk about some of that today I want to begin with uh, two scriptures I want to read the first one you found in all of my podcasts that I've wa- that I've kind of leaned heavily on the book of of First Corinthians, and because of the things that is to be discussed there, and it's really one of these these two letters to the Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, that Paul writes. He's really spending time talking to this group of people, this group of believers, which I'm I would feel confident that most of you guys who are listening to this, you're believers, okay? But he's he's addressing some of these common difficulties and frustrations that we all go through, and so that's one reason why I find myself kind of 
leaning hard on the book of Corinthians is because it really is a book that addresses a lot of these things that are going on with us. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, and Paul says this, Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I read this in a previous podcast, and one of these things that I told you is, is that, you know, if we want to accomplish something, that we need to be temperate. We need to be self-controlled in all things. You don't accomplish. You don't gain status. You don't gain, you don't gain those things without having some sort of a balance. And we have to be balanced in the things that we do. But more so than that, we have to be controlled. There's a matter, uh, a matter of self-control that we really have to be concerned considering. And I want you to consider that, that, you know, one of these uh, uh, aspects of manhood that I've been harping on all of these last episodes is that you are able to control yourself. You're able to control your decisions. You're able to control your mind, or at least where your mind goes when it's stimulated with anger, frustration, um, with joy, with whatever it is. You, you are able to control those things. And really, that's what we need to be striving for, is we need to be striving for control over our own self. And that's one of these things that Paul's telling him. He says, everyone who tries to accomplish something, they have to find some manner of self-control or else they're never going to be able to accomplish it. You know, a soldier who was successful had to successfully learn how to control himself and how to control his emotions, how to control his fears, how to control his actions, all those sorts of things. That's the only way that a soldier was able to be able to to function as he's supposed to be. And we're striving for mastery. We're striving for that crown, that crown of salvation. We're striving for that mastery as a man. Um, And these things require us to, to begin to grab hold of these things in our life that maybe we haven't had control of previously. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he might please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. He says nobody who's going to go into war spends his time worrying about everything else that doesn't have to do with war. He controls himself. He controls the things that he does. He controls how he trains because he realizes that he's in a battle. And I want you guys to understand that we're in a battle. And this battle has many different faces. And one of these faces that I think a lot of times that we're losing is, is we're losing this battle when it comes to the lust of our mind. We are not self-controlled in this because as men, we're programmed, right? We're programmed to look. We're programmed to see. We're programmed to want to reproduce. We're programmed to do these things, right? I mean, this is, it's not a uniquely man, uh, manly thing. It's not uniquely to men that you're the only ones who desire sex and things like that. But we certainly are far more programmed with it than women are. That's something that we can either be frustrated about, we can either lament that fact that, we, that we're that we irritated with it, that it's not fair, whatever it is, or we can learn to, to work and move within it. So let's go ahead and move forward here. Again, I, I've said in a previous podcast, you know, doing an internet search is always dangerous, but I did an internet search. And what I did is I searched, is masturbation damaging? Now, I've, I've seen all sorts of videos um, that talk about it both different ways, uh, both ways. Yes, it is, and no, it isn't. But I just wanted to look, if you yourself, as a man, we're, we're trying to find some understanding of these things, and you were to simply go to Google and you were to type those, you know, this question in there, is masturbation damaging? Well, the first response that I got on my computer was from Planned Parenthood, which gives a resounding no. Masturbation is actually very good for you. I'm, I'm going to encourage you to not take your advice from Planned Parenthood from an organization that kills uh, innocent babies, and, you know, I, regardless of your political leanings, I if you, if you look at that particular organization. It's probably not one that I would take direction for life from. So I I decided I would go past Planned Parenthood and I would move to the second article. The second article is from psychologytoday.com, which is, uh, if you've ever read it, 
or gone around through there. I don't spend a lot of time there because psychology to me uh, makes my brain hurt a little bit. It's got some pretty good articles. And so this particular one, um, this particular article, and I should have written down the title of it. I'm sorry that I didn't. Something about the unknown dangers of masturbation or something like that is the name of it. But so if you read this article, it states mostly it says masturbation is not a problem. Okay. That's in like the first two or three paragraphs. It says that it's important to note that this particular article is is lengthy and so the first couple paragraphs talks about how no it's not really a problem it's actually very healthy and then it spends the rest of it talking about all these different warnings about dangers that happen when you engage in in masturbation especially frequent masturbation so one of these things is it warns of is that solo masturbation can become the sole outlet for six for sexual interactions and damage relationships uh, if you've ever done any sort of research on this and you know probably for most of you this has never been something that you've thought hey I'd like to research more, but if you look into it, you'll find that one of the things that happens, and we're going to talk about this, about instant gratification is, is that because when you masturbate, you can have almost instant gratification. There's no, there's nothing more than, hey, I want this and I'm going to get it. It actually damages your relationships because if you're in a marriage or if you're in any relationship with somebody, everything takes time. Everything takes time to to happen, but this is part of the, the problem. Uh, why do we uh, sell microwave foods so much? Why are fast food joints so popular and such money-making things? Because we want things right away, and what we do is we program our mind that if I want something, I should get it right away. And so what happens is, is when I masturbate, I get the feeling, I get the pleasure, all of that that I want right away. And so then the, the reality is, is our brain is a computer, and we hardwire. Okay, It hardwires the fastest way to get from point A to point B. How do I get from the fastest point uh, of, of point A is I want to feel good to uh, point B, which is actually feeling good. I can either take the time and the effort that it takes for me to have a conversation with my wife, to you know, wait until the kids go to bed, to do whatever it is so that I can have a fulfilling sexual experience with her. Or I can go walk in and I can find someplace quiet and I can masturbate and I can have that feeling right away. And, and this is something that we end up programming our brains to do is that uh, we can have that good feeling right away and so it begins to damage our relationships why would I have a relationship where it takes a long time or it takes a little bit longer time to have some sort of a pleasure uh, feeling or some sort of of, of the, the feeling that I'm looking for when I can just get it right away so you know masturbation damages relationships uh, and, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that I mean I'll, I'll touch on it a little bit more in this particular uh, podcast but that's something that that's there to think about is this is a problem I and mean, one of the things is I can make a way better hamburger at home but for me to make a way better hamburger than I can get at McDonald's, it means that I'm going to have to thaw out some meat, and I'm going to have to to season the meat, and I'm going to have to make the patties, and then I'm going to have to fire up the grill, and I'm going to wait for it to get hot enough. And then I have to throw it on the grill, and then I have to sit there, wait for it to cook on one side, and flip it over. And then I got to get out the, the hamburger buns. I got to throw some cheese on it. I got to do all this sort of stuff. And where it would take me two minutes to drive to McDonald's and ask them for it, uh, it would take me 20 minutes to make a hamburger, even though my hamburger tastes better. In the end, I'm full. So this is part of the... If you can imagine that in the terms of how you, what masturbation is uh, versus actual sexual interaction with another person, with your spouse, with your wife, okay? Not if you're not married. We're, I'm not touching on that necessarily here, but I'm telling you that you should not be having premarital sex. And we'll talk about that in another episode. But this is the problem, right? It's easier and faster to get a hamburger from McDonald's. It takes less effort. But I guarantee you, I can make a better hamburger than McDonald's does every single time. Oftentimes I give in because it's faster to get the 
the pleasure of eating than to make it myself if I just go to McDonald's. Okay, so let's continue here. This psychology today, it warned that first one, it warned about the problems with solo masturbation, right? It can become that you don't want to have a relationship with somebody else because it's faster, it's easier for me to get pleasure from myself. The other thing it warns of, and it spends the rest of the time talking about this, is it warns of something that's called paraphilia. Paraphilia, okay? Paraphilia is a condition in which a person's sexual arousal and gratification depend on fantasizing or engaging in sexual behavior that is atypical or extreme. A paraphilia is considered a disorder when it causes distress or threatens to harm someone else. I'll keep reading here this this definition. Paraphilia can revolve around a, a particular object, Okay, someone requires children or animals or underwear or something like that that causes them to be um, aroused, or a particular behavior, a behavior inflicting pain or exposing yourself. But it's distinguished by a preoccupation with the object or behavior to the point of being dependent on that object or behavior for sexual gratification. Most paraphilias are more common in men than in women. So I'll break this down real quick. This this particular. Uh, thing called paraphilia is basically where your brain becomes wired into needing something to get aroused something it needs something in particular to get aroused this is this is um, kind of the beginning for some of these sexual dysfunctional uh, um, psychological things like pedophilia and things like that right but but basically what happens is is that at an early age your brain begins to be to be programmed to needing a certain thing to cause it to be turned on and you become dependent on that particular thing to have sexual gratification. And so for uh, for young boys, a lot of times who begin to view pornography at a young age, that's what their brain begins to associate with arousal, right? And that's what begins to associate because they see it, they become aroused, and then they begin to masturbate. Paraphilias include sexual behaviors society may view as distasteful, unusual, or abnormal. The most common are pedophilia, that's a sexual focus on children, exhibitionism, exposure of yourself to strangers, voyeurism, observing private activities of unaware victims, uh, frauderism, touching or rubbing against an unconsenting person, and, and more and more things. Okay, These are considered to be paraphilia uh, paraphilias, okay, these these particular um, conditions where a person's arousal and sexual gratification depends on those things. And one thing that I think is interesting is this: there's this particular phrase in here that's voyeurism. That's watching someone do something in private. And now I know, and you know, and, and as a law enforcement officer and things like that, you're talking about, you wouldn't be considering it a voyeurism as watching a por- pornographic video. But I, I do want to make sure that we understand this, okay, that I think that watching pornography is a form Form of voyeurism. It's a form of watching something that should be done in private. Now, I realize that people who are involved in pornography, they're doing it for the most part. They're doing it with the intent that someone is going to watch them and they're not bothered by it. But what you as a person are watching is something that's supposed to be very private, something that is supposed to be very private and something that is supposed to be very sacred. And so I, my opinion truly is if you're watching pornography, you're engaging in voyeurism. If, if watching pornography is what you need to be stimulated sexually, I'm going to tell you that my personal opinion is is that you you may very well be be struggling or beginning to to lay the pathway for for paraphilia which is a a sexual problem okay it's I'll continue reading here it's unclear what causes paraphilic disorders to develop psychoanalysts theorize that an individual with paraphilia is repeating or reverting to a sexual habit that arose early in their life behaviorists suggest that paraphilias begin through a process of conditioning 
Behavioral learning models suggest that a child who is the victim or observer of inappropriate sexual behaviors may learn to imitate that behavior and is later reinforced for it. So one of these things that it's talking about here is that even though they can't say exactly what one, two, three things have to happen for this particular uh, fact that only certain things will turn you on and arouse you, one thing that they do recognize is that it's a process of conditioning. You, It's the same thing I was just talking about, about how you train your brain to get from point A of desire to point B, satisfaction. And one of those things I say is it's conditioning. Once you do something enough, your body begins to realize that that's the fastest way to do it, right? It's the same reason why we drive to work the same way uh, most of the time, because we figure out where the fastest way to get to work is, right? I don't have to wait in traffic as much if I take this route. And that's the same thing when it comes to our desires and when it comes to things like masturbation, when it comes to things like watching pornography. And those behavioral learning models say that a child, you know, when you're at a young age and you begin to see these things, it begins to set these pathways in your brain. I'll continue on here. What we do know is that paraphilic development begins early in life. Most males develop a paraphilic interest by age 17. The textbook Human Sexuality summarized the literature regarding the etiology of paraphilia and concluded, quote, people with paraphilia seem to have grown up in a dysfunctional environment and uh, to have had early sexual experiences that limited their ability to be sexually simulated by consensual sexual activity. Also, all paraphilias are primarily reinforced by masturbation. Unable to abstain unable to obtain sexual satisfaction by engagement in the activity most sexually stimulating to them, adolescents with paraphilic interest instead use fantasy and masturbation as a primary means of gratification, thus keeping their desire hidden and unknown even to the people closest to them. Each episode of masturbation, however, only further reinforces the paraphilic interest and reduces the possibility of modifying or eradicating it in the future. So what what does this say? It says what, what psychologists, what sex behavior specialists, what psychoanalysts have figured out is that you begin early in life, uh, beginning if, if you are going to have a problem when it comes sexually to, to ner- needing certain things in order to be sexually stimulated, it starts early in life. And now what we've seen is, is, is you know, when I was a teenager, I mean, I saw pornography when I was a teenager, but it was far more complicated to get my hands on because uh, DVDs were early, um, which would have been a whole lot more concealable for me to get in or out of a house than a VHS movie. And uh, the internet was slow or just starting to come into uh, into common use, and it was slow dial-up and things like that, and it was not typically something that you could find access to easily. And uh, magazines, which would have been the other, you know, uh, actual pictures, pictures and magazines, which would have been the only, the other method of seeing pornography, was not easy to get. You know, you had to go somewhere and you had to buy it. And you had to be over 18. It wasn't easy to get your hands on, okay? Whereas now, uh, if I were to ask every uh, young man here under the age of 20, if you've ever looked at pornography or seen pornography on your cell phone, I would bet 90% of you would probably say yes. Why? Because I have access to everything that I need to uh, stimulate myself on my phone that I can look at just about anywhere. So so, uh, so it says here that this particular thing, it begins early on in life. We begin to set these pathways, and the, and the biggest thing is, is that you begin seeing these things early on, and your body begins to associate it. We begin to associate that with appropriate behavior. Uh, we begin to associate that with how relationships should be had. We begin to associate that with how sex should be performed. And it says when it, when it happens, you see that those people who struggle with it, okay, they begin to limit their ab- ability to be stimulated by consensual sexual activity, okay? It begins to stop you 
again, because we're talking about this this self-pleasure, right? This fastest way from point A to point B, you stop wanting to have sexual interaction with other people, okay? With your spouse. It it no longer is necessary because you want to have it with yourself. And, And this is a danger. This is a danger. We're made for togetherness, you know? I mean, I realize not every man and not every woman is going to be married, okay? But the Lord did create sex. The Lord did create sex, and not just for the matter of procreation, of having children or anything like that. You know, the Lord the Lord did create sex for the, the, the matter of having joy and having pleasure in, in one another. And when we begin to set these, these patterns for ourselves early in our life, we really end up ruining. When we begin to set these patterns early on in our life, we really end up changing what God intended man and woman to be for, at least one of the intents of it. So one of these things is it also says is that, you know, when when you're a young man, I, I realize that, you know, you keep your eyes on girls and, and let's be honest, right? And, and it's not just even as young men. I mean, as men, uh, men do this as well, as you begin to look at women in terms of what you would like to do with them. What it says here is that, and this is the problem a lot of times with teenagers, when you're unable to obtain your sexual satisfaction by engagement in the activity, you begin to use instead masturbation uh, and fantasy to be that means of gratification. The reality is, is most of your fantasies will probably never in life be played out. And so what happens when you can enjoy yourself in the fantasy of your own mind and of your own self-pleasure, you, you don't end up having relationships with other people. What's the point? I'll continue reading here. When people joke about the harm of masturbation, they almost always neglect to consider its truly most harmful effect. Each time a male masturbates to a fantasy, he further etches it into the hard wiring of his brain and increases the risk of future significant distress and impairment, particularly regarding sexual functioning and satisfaction. And once this is developed, it's almost always very difficult to reverse. So we, we, we find our ourselves joking about things like masturbation, but one of the things that we forget is is that it truly does have a harmful effect. Now, if you masturbate or if you have masturbated even recently, does that mean that your life is ruined, your relationships are ruined, all of those things? No, that's not what I'm saying, nor am I trying to, to, to spend this time to beat you down for, for these things. What I'm trying to tell you is, is we need to have control over these things in our life. We need to have control over our own desires, and we can do that. We can have control, and you know, these desires that you have, these desires for for uh, pleasure and sexual pleasure, those were put there for a purpose. The Lord knew what he was doing, and I'm not going to say to be embarrassed about it or anything like that. I'm going to tell you, though, that we need to be in control. You need to have control of yourself. We can be in control. God called us to control, control of our emotions, control of our frustrations, control of our actions, right? A man is controlled. A man doesn't just float through life letting whatever happen to him, whatever whim or desire that he wants happen to him. That's not a way to have a good or a satisfying life. You never accomplish anything. You never will go anywhere in your life. You will never have any victory in your life if you don't take some control over how you get there what you do uh, if you don't take control over practicing to get yourself to to accomplish something. And so I want you to think about that. We've been called to be in control of our life. Okay, so now what I want to do is I want to make a quick transition. Because remember what I had said before, as I said that, you know, masturbation is not necessarily tied to pornography. So often they are tied to each other. So I want to read this. This is from a, another article that was linked to this psychology today. And it was about the, the damaging impact of pornography in relationships. So it says, this. 
there was a, a study that was done by this guy, Montgomery Graham. This was in 2015. So part of the study, they gathered news, uh, news articles, magazines, and blog items concerning the impact of pornography on relationships. Over one-third of those sources described pornography as being beneficial for romantic relationships, including using pornography as a means for exploring fantasies, reducing sexual boredom, and female empowerment. Remember what we just talked about in the previous section here about masturbation was that these fantasies, okay, these fantasies are, are really when we have this detachment from reality, we, we end up programming our mind to want those fantasies. The reality is, is so I spent a lot of years as a police officer. Before that, I spent years working in an emergency room. And, and I'm just going to make this statement. You know, if you look at pornography, you're looking at something that is not real. You're not looking at how most people look. Most men don't look like that. Most women don't look like that. And, and one thing I can tell you is, is that people don't look like what you see in these videos, in these, uh, in, in pornography. That's not what a woman looks like. And if you begin programming your mind that that's what someone's supposed to look like, you will never be satisfied. And so why would I want something? Why would I settle for something that doesn't fulfill what my fantasy has said it should be? So, so these are some things that are important. Not just that, but some of the things that are done in pornography. Now, not everything, because pornography is depicting sex and various forms of sex, which pornography didn't create sex. Sex created pornography. One of these things I want you to understand, though, is, is that not all those things are reasonable. I'm here to tell you, women don't necessarily want to do all those things that you see depicted in pornography. And if you're not able to get what you need from a, from a, a, a physical partner, then if you've laid this groundwork, you're just going to find yourself withdrawing into your own self and your own desires and your own fantasies and, and end up uh, uh, not having relationships. One third of these articles that they were looking at said that, hey, pornography is great. It's good for a relationship because it helps you explore fantasies, it reduces sexual boredom, and it gives females power. Here's they did five studies from there looking at this. The first study measured participants' frequency of pornography use in their self-appraisal of their commitment to their existing romantic partner. Okay, so the first study, they asked everybody who was watching pornography, hey, when you watch pornography, how, how does that make you feel your commitment is to your partner? The second study used an observational design in which trained observers watched couples complete a complex collaborative task after being asked about their frequency of pornography use. So the second second study, they asked the the both uh, partners, they said, how much do you watch pornography? And they talked about it amongst each other. And then after they talked about it, then they had to do some complex task. The third study separated frequent porn consumers into two groups. The first was directed to abstain from all porn for a total of three weeks, while the second group was instructed to abstain from their favorite food for the same period of time. Then the initial self-report ratings of commitment to a current romantic partner were compared. In summary, all three studies found that pornography consumption was associated with a weakened commitment to one's romantic partner. So in all of these, they found that those people who said that they were watching, viewing porn and all that, that they had less desire to be in a romantic relationship. Okay, Pornography made them not want to be with, with uh, uh, their spouse or their partner more frequently. So the fourth study, participants, all of whom were in an exclusive romantic relationship were asked to describe their frequency of pornography use. Three weeks later, they were asked to be a part of a test of a new social social networking service in which they would chat with an unknown person of the opposite sex for 10 minutes. The latter person, the person they were chatting with, was actually a study participant trained to be engaging and flirtatious. The results indicated that a higher pornography 
pornography consumption was associated with more flirtatious behavior by the study subjects. So when these people who were participating in this study, they were on this social media chat site and some unknown person was chatting with them and was being flirtatious, they wanted that that person who was being flirted with went and viewed more pornography. Finally, in the fifth study, participants were asked about the frequency of their pornography consumption, their commitment to a current relationship, and their infidelity in the last 12 months, or how frequently they had cheated. The results indicated that pornography consumption predicted a higher rate of infidelity or of adultery within a marriage. Those are interesting studies. Those are interesting studies, and I realize that when you look at a study, you're pulling a segment of the population, but one of the things that it shows pretty regularly throughout this is that pornography isn't healthy for relationships. And we're talking about romantic relationships, but the reality is is that there's no shortage of people who find themselves with their hands tied completely. They begin uh, they begin to be owned by a an addiction to things like pornography and masturbation, and it ends up damaging other parts of their life. It ends up damaging friendships. It ends up damaging their participation in things of life, right? It can happen to us, and I'm not saying it's 100% of the time. I'm not saying if you viewed pornography that you're going to be ruined forever for relationships, nor am I saying if you masturbate or if you have masturbated that you're never going to be able to have a normal sex life. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is, is that we should we should recognize that we have to control these urges and these desires. That's what men do. Men are not run by every whim, by every blowing of the wind. We need to be controlled. Controlling your passions and controlling your desires. Because when you control your passions and desires, you control the direction that you go in your life. Rasmussen, another big, another big uh, study group, in 2016 reviewed empirical research on pornography consumption and its and its impact on romantic relationships. While not while acknowledging that there is some some troubles with these studies, he determined that there were three pathways by which pornography use influences couples' function. First, partners begin to see their mates as less attractive in comparison to the images in pornography. I talked about that. I don't look like a porn star with my clothes off. And as much as I love my wife, I think she's absolutely beautiful. She doesn't look like these these women that are depicted in pornography either, or like the women who are depicted in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition, or any of these things that we see these these not realistic portraits and pictures of of the opposite sex. It's just not reality. And when we begin to to look at those things and we begin to allow that to to work in our mind and fantasize about it, whatever it is, we begin teaching our mind that that's the way the opposite sex is supposed to look. We begin to tell ourselves and teach ourselves as a 15-year-old kid who's viewing pornography and masturbating that any woman that I'm going to be with had better have breasts the size of gigantic watermelons and a waist that's so big around that I can, you know, that I can fit my two hands around it and touch my fingers and it's just not realistic. It's not reality. And and this 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 study, one of those things that they noticed was they found that. Second, pornography gives an impression that others outside the relationship would provide better sexual variety and satisfaction. Okay, it begins to tell you that your sex life, your sex life with your spouse, it's not as satisfying. You need to go outside of the relationship to get it, right? Because my wife doesn't look like that, because my wife won't do those things, uh, whatever it is. So pornography gives an impression that the grass is greener on the other side, which leads to infidelity. Finally, pornography increases an acceptability of infidelity. Hey, I just said that. Uh, in summary, he concluded, the evidence for pornography's influence on the stability of a romantic and committed relationship is strong. The evidence of its influence it's strong that it influences it negatively. Pornography negatively influences relationships. And so often, yet again, 
pornography and masturbation go hand in hand. Control yourself. We got to get away from that. Psychologists in the mental health world, they put forth that masturbation is mostly good, although there are some risks which seem to be associated with seeing things that are sexually out of the norm, right? Like things in pornography, sexually out of the norm. Most women don't look like that. Most men don't look like that. Most acts, most sex acts that you view are not normal. And, and I'm not going to say that that every um, sex act that you see is not normal. You know, I mean, I, I, the reality is, is that things like, uh, well, I, I guess I'm not going to go deeply into it. But the reality is, is that there's a whole lot of facets of, of having sex that, that are normal and that are appropriate within the confines of a good marriage and of a Christian marriage. But the reality is, is there's a lot of things that, that may be depicted in pornography that are not acceptable, that are not possible, um, and that can be damaging. Okay, But the other thing is, is that the actual viewing of pornography, of viewing something that is typically considered to be private, it has damage. It's damaging to you, and, and, it, can, and it can actually cause more problems to you in the future. Uh, so I looked at... It's, it's some of these other uh, studies I looked at real quick. Is you know WebMD. Uh, there was this this uh, article there about masturbation, and and I'm reading it and I'm like, this is just dumb. How many people go to WebMD when they have something going on? You have the sniffles or something like that. Well, what if you happen as a as a man to be like, well, I wonder if masturbation is a problem. Well, WebMD says no, it's not a problem. It's actually really good. But then it starts out first off by saying, so husbands, okay, understand this. There's health benefits to having an orgasm, but those health benefits are diminished greatly by masturbation as opposed to sexual intercourse. There's something that happens there hormonally and and psychologically that is incredibly beneficial. So if you are are not engaging in sexual activity with your wife and exchanging it instead for masturbation, you're missing something that was put there for a reason, I believe, by God with with, uh, the romantic uh, married uh, sexual activity that you should have. It says that, you know, that that masturbation is not this, this WebMD uh, article. It's not damaging to your relationship. It's really not a problem within marriages. One question that I would have is, is for you men, okay, if you're a man and you uh, uh, engage in masturbation and solo masturbation, okay, would your wife agree that that's not a problem? Because remember in some of these previous podcasts we've talked about is that, you know, you're not just responsible for yourself, but you're also responsible for others. And and I would bet if you have a, a relationship that is built on the grounds of Christ, it should be about mutual satisfaction. Action, okay, not solo satisfaction, and you know. So if you think that that your that masturbating, and I'm just talking about masturbating, not pornography, okay, but masturbating doesn't cause a problem in your relationship. The first question I'd ask you is, does your wife agree with that? As married men, we're not in a relationship by ourselves. What might this make your spouse think or feel? Okay, that I'm just talking about masturbation. I'm not talking about pornography uh, viewing. Okay, I, you have that conversation with your wife about viewing pornography. Um, I'm I'm going to bet that she's probably not going to say it's an okay thing. And do we have to be concerned about that? Married men, should we be concerned about the thoughts and feelings and desires of our wife? Absolutely, 100%. The article also says that masturbation is almost certainly good for your sex life. It says it's great because then you know what you do and you don't like from masturbation, which is all by yourself. How do you know what you do and you don't like? in sex if you're not engaging in that with another person but it says that it's almost all it's almost 
certainly good for your sex life. And then it has two paragraphs that warn about pornography and instant gratification, the troubles that come with instant gratification. So these are things I, I've just spent the last 30 minutes or so of this podcast kind of talking through and reading through some of these studies that these aren't, I didn't, I intentionally didn't look at Christian therapists or Christian sites here. I just wanted to see what is the world saying about masturbation? What is the world saying about pornography? And now I just, obviously I just cherry picked a couple of things here and certainly you're going to see things on both sides. Um, but everything I looked at while it said, oh, masturbation's all right, then it goes on to give a whole lot of warnings about instant gratification, about how it can cause you to detach from relationships and things like that. You know, you look at these articles about pornography. Oh, pornography is not necessarily bad, but then it spends a whole lot of time talking about the uh, problems that come with uh, viewing pornography and how it changes the way that you perceive sexuality, how you perceive other people and all that. So, you know, we can't talk out of both sides of our mouth. We can't say it's good and bad. It's got to be one or the other. Either it should be good for us, or it's probably not good for us, or it's bad for us. I, I want to talk about a couple of things here, because if you've listened to me thus far, and you're a, a guy who views pornography, or has viewed, or views it even now on a regular basis, if you're a guy who has had a problem, or, or frequently masturbates, or used to, or still does, I don't want to leave you hopeless. I don't want to leave you hopeless, and I hope I haven't given you the impression in everything that I've said that this hasn't been something that I've had to handle in my life because I have had to handle it. I've had to struggle as a husband, uh, even as a minister, when I've gone places or I've gone, you know, especially as a police officer, you go into some house and you all of a sudden when you're not ready for it, you see some depiction of pornography and it's difficult because sometimes those thoughts, those 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 images and things are in your mind and you have you know you have a choice of where you go with it. And and it's been difficult for me. Um, I've had to learn how to fight through that and try to battle for self-control over what is my human desires. Okay, because I don't want to be run by it. I, I want to be in control of my life. I want to be in control of these things. Or, or I guess maybe that's the wrong way. I want God to be in control. I want God to be in control of those things. And the Lord's not in pornography. Men, if you think that the Lord is anywhere involved in pornography, I'm here to tell you, you do not know him. You do not know the Lord. He doesn't He doesn't bless those things. He doesn't bless those activities. He also doesn't bless our, our lustful desires when we want our own pleasure and things like that. The Lord doesn't bless that. He's not in that. He's he's in far other and greater things and things that bring far more satisfaction. But I want to talk about a couple things now. Alma, the book of Alma and the book of Mormon. Alma chapter 19, verse 13. Here we have a man, he's talking to his son, and he's talking to his son. He's giving him wisdom and advice for life, but he spends a little bit of time talking about some of the mistakes that his son made. His son had gone off and had been had been involved in, in fornication, in, in having sex outside of wedlock and things, and he was a terrible example for the people there. But his father's calling him to change, and he makes this statement to him in, in verse 13. So Alma 19, 13, it says, Now, my son, I would that you should repent and forsake your sins and go no more after the lusts of your eyes, but cross yourself in all these things. For except you do this, you can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. So he tells his son, you need to repent. You need to change from these things that you have done, these damaging things, these damaging things to you physically and these damaging things to you spiritually. He says you have to forsake your sins. You have to turn from those sins. 
Go more at, no more after the lust of your eyes. Get in control of those things that when you see it, you want it. We're going to see beautiful women. Guys, you're going to see it. And you're going to see women in bikinis. And you're going to see sometimes in the course of your job or whatever it is, or you open up your computer and you get a pop-up or something like that, you're going to see something that is going to that is going to stimulate a part of your manly, of your, of your, uh, of your carnal, your human mind that's going to make you want to have some satisfaction from it. Don't go after the lust of your eyes. And he says, cross yourself in these things. So that's kind of a phrase that we don't use very often. Okay, so I'm looking in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, this word cross. And one of these definitions it says is to thwart or to obstruct, to hinder, to embarrass, as to cross a purpose or design. So the first group of definitions that have to do with what was being said here of crossing yourself is, he says, don't go after the lusts of your eyes, but but thwart them, obstruct them, hinder those lustful thoughts. More definitions there, it says to counteract, to clash or to interfere with, to be inconsistent with, as the natural appetites that may cross our principles. So when you have these lustful thoughts, counteract it, interfere with it, go away from it, don't participate in it. If you all of a sudden see something and that it and that it, it begins to, to uh, I'll just say, to turn you on, don't pursue it. Go somewhere else. Look at something else. Do something else. Don't pursue it. Get control of yourself. Get control of your mind. Get control of your attitude. Don't follow after those things. There's nothing good that will come of it. It's damaging. It's hurtful. It'll, it'll you know, men who are married, it will, it will hurt and damage your relationship. When you see those things that begin to touch that, that humanistic part of your mind, cross yourself. I want to, I want to look at some some uh, another study here which is really interesting okay and this is about delayed gratification remember one of these things when we're talking about pornography and masturbation is we're talking about instant gratification I press start on the microwave and 30 seconds later I have something that's ready to eat rather than having to spend the time to mix up some food and to cook it and wait and all that sort of stuff right there's trouble that we have as a society with instant gratification it's not good for us instant gratification it's bad but I want to read some of these things the study about delayed gratification and, and, and ideally this this should be for Christian married men to delay gratification. If you have a tr- if you have problem or you have a desire for some sort of a sexual interaction, that you wait until you're able to experience that with your wife. Or if you're a young unmarried man, to delay the gratification of things like masturbation for that for that instant gratification of that good feeling until you're married, and avoid you know, damaging things such as pornography. So I want to talk about this because remember, we're talking about learning self-control. In the 1960s, there was a Stanford professor, Professor, his name was Walter Michel, and he was doing a, a series of psychological studies. And in his experiments, he and his team, they, they brought in hundreds of different children, most of them between the ages of four and five. And, and he began this experiment with them. And what he did is he brought the children into a room and sat them down in a chair and he put a marshmallow in front of them. And he says, listen, here's the deal. I'm going to leave the room. And if you... Uh, don't eat this marshmallow. When I come back, I'm going to give you a second marshmallow. But you can eat this marshmallow if you want. But if you don't eat it until I come back, I'm going to give you a second one. And so what happened was, is, you know, so he laid this, this challenge in front of him. You can wait and you can have two. Or you can have one right now. And so in the course of this thing, you know, as soon as he left, a lot of kids just ate that marshmallow right away. Some of them squirmed around for a while and and finally ate it. And some of them held out. And he was gone for about 15 minutes. So he noticed this thing about kids. His kids have this hard time delaying gratification. So what did he do after that? The children who were willing to delay their gratification, that they waited to receive that second marshmallow, they began to study them over years. Everybody who participated, they, they, they continued the study and watched 
watching their mannerisms and, and checking up on them and all that. Well, those kids who waited and they got two marshmallows because they waited, says they ended up having higher SAT scores, lower levels of substance abuse, a lower likelihood of obesity. They responded better to stress. They had better social skills and they had generally better scores in a range of other life measures. So what they noticed was is as these kids who were willing to, to wait and get the second marshmallow just by waiting, they ended up doing better in all these measures of life. So the researchers kept following the children for 40 years and over and over again, that group of kids, now adults, who had patiently waited for that second marshmallow, they were, they were more successful in almost everything that these researchers tested. Okay, in other words, this series of experiments, they proved that, that if you are willing to delay gratification, it becomes critical in, in your lifelong success because you are programming your mind to say, I can wait for something better. I can wait for something more fulfilling. So I want you to think about that, about delayed gratification. All of a sudden you feel like you want to masturbate. If you can delay, if you can delay that gratification, that feeling that comes when all of a sudden you've, you've accomplished that, that masturbation and you feel good about it, okay, you have that, that physical feeling of pleasure. If you can delay that, to a later date, you can have something that's far more fulfilling. Unmarried men, it's your sexual relationship with your spouse. Married men, it's in, it's enjoying that intimacy, that physical intimacy with somebody else. So I want to I want to finish up here by giving you guys some some things here. How can you overcome if you're struggling with masturbation and or pornography or any of number of other things that you can work to control, like overeating, lack of exercise, all those things. I want to give you I want to give you three things, three things that I want you to try so that you can begin to overcome these things that, that can so easily control you, whether it's masturbation or viewing pornography or overeating or whatever it is. I want to give you three things that I want you to try so that you can, so that you can try to overcome these things. So the first thing I want to tell you is start small. Okay, start small. I want you to set a goal that's impossible to say no to and then build on that every day. So I'm going to make a statement here. Okay, as a minister, as a Christian, as a minister, I'm going to tell you that you should not masturbate. I'm going to tell you that you should not view pornography. But I also understand that if you if you are in a process, if you're doing something that has become common for you, it's my habit to say stop cold turkey is almost impossible. That's why people don't quit smoking that's why they don't quit, quit drinking that's why they don't quit that's why they don't quit uh, um, drugs and things like that because this cold turkey just stopping it right away is very difficult to do so what I'm going to encourage you to do is this I want you to start small if you're someone who you masturbates every day I'm gonna ask you to do this or if you're someone who watches pornography every day I'm gonna ask you to do this I'm gonna ask you to, to tomorrow one day this week I am not going to masturbate one day this week I will not watch any pornography okay it may be difficult I'm going to ask you to, to, as you make that commitment to do this one small change, I'm going to tell you that I want you to replace that time and that activity with something else. Interaction with people, with friends, reading a book, going somewhere. I want you to supplement that with prayer. I want you to be praying, Lord, help me to be able to put this aside this one day. I want you to go through this. And, and let's say you can manage to do this for a month. For a month, I'm going to... One day every week, I will not masturbate. I will not watch pornography. When that one month is over, I want you to challenge yourself and I want you to build on that. Okay, now I want it to be two days. Two days every week, I'm not going to masturbate. I'm not going to watch pornography. And I want you to build on that. I want you to build on it. If you fail, I want you to adopt this motto in your life. I will not miss twice. I'm not going to fail twice. Okay, I'm going to push myself. I'm going to be self-controlled. I'm not going to miss twice. That's the first thing I'm going to ask you to do. The second thing I want you to do, I want you to make a 1% change. 
Okay, where this came from was there was this guy, he, he, he took over this role within a British cycling team. And what he, what he decided was, he said, you know, if we can change very small things, very small things, over time, all these small things are going to add up to something big. So he did little things like in the trailer where they transported their bikes he painted it all white so they could see when there was dust, dust accumulating places because dust would build up on the gears and things of the bikes and it would decrease its performance. Okay, so it was a small change to paint a trailer white and you might say, well, how does that make the cyclists ride faster to win more races? But if you made it, if you made the small change of painting the inside of the trailer white so you could see dust and clean it up, then it wouldn't accumulate on the gears and things of the bike and then the bike would run better and then theoretically you would be able to ride faster. Make a 1% change. A 1% change is small, but if if you continue to make 1% changes, it accumulates. So I want you to find a small thing in your life that you can change. How about letting your phone go dead before you go to bed, right? Most of our phones, a lot of times, because on our cell phone, we're using it throughout the day, the battery doesn't last. Let your phone die before you go to bed. And then when you're alone in your bedroom, young men, then you don't have the ability to look at pornography and to masturbate. A 1% change. Or leave your bedroom door open. Find some other small things that you can add until that bad habit is gone or a good habit is built. Read one scripture verse today, and then tomorrow I'm going to read two. Make an increase every day or every week, whatever it is. But begin by making a 1% change. Something small, find something small, and let small things build up, right? This is part of taking control of ourself, control of our life. The last thing I'm going to encourage you to do is set up some sort of a visual aid that helps to motivate you so that you see a chain of successes. One of the suggestions that, that, that I have seen is to have a calendar on the wall. And every day you have a success, you mark it off in red. And so you begin to see every day when you look up, I begin to see every day that I don't masturbate or every day I don't watch pornography. And then it becomes a challenge with yourself that I'm not going to let this chain of successes end. If you do fail, then we're going to start again. But hopefully you motivate yourself by saying, look, I did it 15 times already in a row. I can do it 15 more. Now, I realize you may not want to have a calendar on your wall young men or or men and then and then someone's going to ask you hey why do you have this calendar why do you have these things marked off in red can you do it on your phone can you do it inside your notebook something that you're going to see frequently so that you can see a pattern of successes because we always do better when we can look at success and i want you guys to do that i want you to look at success where you've been successful in that being uh being a man and and and, and being self-disciplined being self-controlled it means setting goals i'm talking about setting goals for how you're going to overcome things that are damaging and this is only one thing. Maybe it's overeating. Maybe it's you need to exercise, right? Maybe that goal that you said is I'm going to start small. Maybe that goal that you said is you're going to start small. I'm going to do five push-ups every day. Okay. I do five push-ups every day. And then what I'll do is I'll begin to build on that. What's a fight? What's a 1% increase I can make on that? Uh, tomorrow I'm going to do six tomorrow, you know, whatever it is, begin challenging yourself. I want to tell you one more thing as I, as I draw this to a close is I want you to involve someone in your struggle. I want you to involve someone in your struggle. Married men, if you're struggling with pornography or masturbation, involve someone involve a friend we talked about good friends in a previous podcast involve them in your struggle you don't have to be specific i have men in my life i have friends and mentors in my life that i simply just text them and say hey i need some encouragement hey i need you to pray for me i don't have to be specific not everybody needs to know what i'm struggling with although i think it's good to make yourself accountable to somebody else but this is one of those things as i talked about in a previous podcast good friends good friends don't let each other fail and so if you have a friend and you go to me say hey i'm struggling with this i need you to be on call for me. So if I send you a text message or I give you a call and say, hey, I'm struggling here. I need you to encourage me. I need you to help me. Okay, if you can confess to them what that struggle is, it's even better. But I want you to, to encourage I want to encourage you to involve someone else in your struggle and let that person help you when you feel pressured, when you feel like you're struggling, um, because we're in this battle together. So 
I've spent an hour now talking about this because this is a huge issue. This is an enormous issue. Masturbation, pornography, it's not what a man is run by. It's not what God wants you to be. He didn't create you as a man so that you can give yourself over to fantasies and to being alone and to gratifying yourself and all that. That's not what God created you for. Think about it. Men, married men with kids here, would you encourage your sons to do those same things? Would you encourage your sons to to sit alone and masturbate and to watch pornography and things? If you say yes, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I truly think you need some work in, in some areas of your life uh, because you probably in yourself know that, that it's not exactly normal. It's not exactly right. It's not what you know. You know, God put within each of us an understanding of right and wrong. One of the reasons why why a lot of these things are kind of shameful for us to talk about is because we realize that there is a there is a measure of of inappropriateness that comes with it. So don't give in to it. Don't let Satan win. That should be the battle you're always willing to fight. So fight that battle. Fight that battle against against your human lusts. Fight that battle against Satan who's going to throw those those pictures, those images and those desires in there. Arise from the dust and be men.